All right, Isaiah 54, single bearing one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent and let the curtains of your habitations be stretched out. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your offspring will possess the nations and will the people the desolate cities. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will not, uh, for you will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. Verse 5, for, for your maker is your husband, and the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, and the God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In, over, in the overflowing anger for a moment, I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Verse 9, This is like the days of Noah to me, as I saw that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of a gate and your gates of barnacles, and all your wall of, of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established, and you shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from, uh, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. If anyone stirs up strife, it is not from me. Whoever stirs up strife with you shall fall because of you. Behold, I have, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Yeah, Father, we pray that, Lord, you will bless the reading of your word. And um, as we meditate on your word, that you will speak to us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're not looking at the entire passage over here. We're going to look uh, simply uh, at verse from verse 4 to verse 10 okay uh but in order to kind of do that we we might jump uh around with the different verses with 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 the different scripture okay when you when you do kind of a cursory reading 
of Isaiah 54, actually it brings up a lot of questions. Okay, so the context of this uh, scripture, once again, uh, the original listener, okay, to to Isaiah, imagine Isaiah standing up in front of Israel and, and declaring this uh, scripture, okay. The original listener of the scripture, uh, this, this prophetic promise of peace is the Israelite who has just returned from the exile, okay, who are kind of uh, in, the, in the place of rebuilding their homes or rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So he has, uh, because they, are, they were in uh, Babylon for 70 years, so the person who is listening, if he's a very old man, he has either seen, seen uh, Israel, being ravaged by war through the Babylonian conquest, or he is someone who is born under oppression, okay, while they are in a foreign land. So, the person who hears this promise, now it, it is a very encouraging promise, it is a very exciting promise. He kind of, when he hears this promise, he will now expect Israel will now experience political freedom, national freedom, economic stability, and prosperity, right? And to the ones who, who weren't around to hear this, this promise, they read of what is written by Isaiah later on. They will look forward to the fulfillment of this promise. When will we experience the peace, the prosperity? And do they have a comparison? Yes, because their fathers and their forefathers, their, their, their fathers' fathers and fathers uh, spoke of a time when it was under the rule of David and Solomon, where silver was tossed out to the, where, where they were so rich, silver was tossed out to the ground like nothing. It was kind of the golden age of Israel during the time of David and Solomon. And so they kind of have a benchmark in that sense. They look at where they are now. They look at the broken the broken down temple, the ruins, the broken down walls and all of that. And they go, wow, here's a promise from God, a prophetic promise from God, from Isaiah. It sounds like we are going to return to the golden age of David and Solomon, where everything is prosperous once again. So they are they're looking forward to that. Uh, but if you are a student of history, and if you know what happened to Israel after that, you know for many more centuries, the land of Israel was ruled, was oppressed continually. I mean, not just the Babylonians, after that, the Persians, then the Greeks. And then when Jesus came that time, it was under the oppression of the Romans, right? AD 70, Israel, the Israelites were dispersed. Most of the Israelites were dispersed, scattered throughout nations. The land of Israel was under the Arabs, under the Turks, under the British. Basically, <laughs> uh, I don't think it, it. It seems like Isaiah gives this gives this promise, right? 
gives this prophetic promise of uh, freedom, of stability, of prosperity, of all that. But it doesn't seem like it takes place. Um, we see a little bit of that in the ref in in the reformation of Israel in nineteen forty eight, right? But by that time, Israel has already went through even the the terrors of Holocaust. So when we read this passage of scripture, we're trying to understand. <laughs> What is it referring to? Because the the original listener of this prophetic promise, when he hears this, he is really, really looking forward to political freedom. No more oppression. It is no wonder that during Jesus' first coming, Israel expected him, Jesus, uh, Israel expected their Messiah to bring political liberation from Roman oppression. This is why they look forward to a king that would kind of lead Israel to extend its territories, its stakes from the on the left, on the right, kind of like. Yes, now you will lead an army and conquer all the nations that have oppressed us and we will extend our territories like in the times of King Solomon. Is that what took place? Not really. Not really. And Jesus did not take up that role. Jesus didn't come in that time as a conquering king leading Israel to conquer the nations around them. So when we look at this passage again, what is it referring to? Okay. Now, to understand this, to understand this passage, we must look at Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, right? And Isaiah 52 and 53 is a very clear picture of the suffering servant. So this period of this promise in Isaiah 54 is preceded by the appearance of the suffering servant. So there was there, so the scripture is saying there will come forth a suffering servant. He will be crushed. He will be oppressed. He will die. And then through his death, through all of that, he will his life will bring forth Isaiah 54. Okay? And so we'll be focusing uh, on verse 4 to verse 10, where we kind of look in the first, first few verses for the context, okay? I'll skip verse 1 uh, because there are quite a few uh, interpretations for that and we are not jumping particularly into that verse. Um, but Isaiah 54 verse 2 and 3, you see, this is the part that kind of is a little bit confusing, right? Because it seems as if Isaiah is saying Israel will eventually rule over the nations. 
Now, it may refer to the age when Christ returns again, second coming of Christ, uh, when Jesus sits on his throne in Jerusalem and rules the nations for a thousand years. I think it may refer to that. Um, but it also may refer to when you look at Israel's history, again in AD 70, Israel is dispersed, is spread out, is scattered to the nations because of persecution. <laughs> and so its uh, territories are being um, its territories are being extended, yes. It's is is uh tents are being extended, but in a way that perhaps Israel did not expect it to be. But it's interesting also because uh we know this about Jews. While they are in those nations, while they are scattered in those nations, they rise up because of the blessing of God and the favor of God upon their lives, they rise up as successful leaders in the areas of business, technology, education, healthcare, politics, and, and all that. So the curtains of their habitations have been stretched out and they've been spread abroad to the left and to the right. But they kind of risen to the tops of the various mountains because of the blessing of God upon their work. So we see before 1948, when they were reformed, they, they are people that's, in, in fact, even now today, you know, they are people that's constantly oppressed by various nations who, you know, uh, at that time eventually lost their homeland, driven to foreign nations. Now to this nation, God gives a very powerful promise. Now we understand the context of this, of verse 2 and verse 3, and what, what is coming up for Israel. Then God gives a very powerful promise, a very powerful encouragement. In verse 4 to verse 10, there is a liberation that I'm bringing to you but it's not a political liberation, at least not at this time. It's not a political liberation that I'm giving to you. It's not just a prosperity of, of, of wealth, of all that, that I'm bringing to you. But there is a, an internal and more important, an, an internal and eternal liberation that I'll bring to you. And my suffering servant will be the one that brings it to you because he will deal with the sin issue that is within you. He will pay the penalty for your sin and he will redeem us from the waters of judgment, the waters of wrath, like in the days of Noah, as in verse 9 that mentions about it. He does it through his life, through his blood, establishing an eternal covenant of peace, like that which is mentioned in verse 10. 
And this eternal covenant of peace is also a marriage covenant. A covenant of union, where two become one, where the people of God become one with God. That's the desire of God. Again, that is the eternal, ancient longing of God's heart to be one with men. That he would dwell fully with men and man's heart will be yielded to him in full submission, in full love, being one with him. And Jesus will open the way for that union with God. That's the finished work of the cross. And we will not just enter into the finished work of the cross, but we will also experience, we will also receive and experience the reward of his suffering, not just being freed from the penalty of our sin, but also experience the reality, the the hope of our redemption. That means uh, the fullness of our salvation, not just the salvation of our spirit, but also our mind, the restoration of our minds, our emotions that have been corrupted by sin, our minds, our thought life, uh, strongholds in our minds that, that have, um, risen up against the knowledge of God, uh, things in our emotions, things, woundings in our, our hearts and all that. God wants to bring the fullness of His salvation to all these areas, all these parts of us. Not just liberation in our spirit, but liberation in our mind, our soul, our heart, and all of that. Okay? And so He, he starts off uh, with verse 4 that says, um, okay, there are some things that he wants to free us here. That three areas of bondage that God, our husband, our redeemer, he wants his wife to be free from. Okay, and the first thing is fear. First thing he says, fear not. <laughs> you will notice that a lot of times Jesus says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear, God wants fear. First John, God wants fear to be driven out by his love and replaced with what? Replace it with faith. Faith in a faithful God. As, as his beloved wife, we're not supposed to live worrying about our future. Now, I want you to uh, picture this. You know, if, uh, if one day, you know, you, you happen to go to a party and then you, you, you're talking to this married lady, you know, Without knowing her husband, you know, she's uh, she's someone new. You, you just got to know her. You're just talking to her. And she, in the whole conversation, she goes on and on and 
on about her worries about food on the table, about her worries, her anxiety about bills to pay, the kids' college funds, the house mortgage, and man. Firstly, your conversation will, with her will not be very enjoyable. <laughs> and secondly, you will have certain impressions about her husband without knowing her husband. Right? So your immediate first impression is maybe her husband left her. She's a single mother or something. Right? Or... Um, is her husband working a, a, a low-wage job or, you know, maybe the husband went through retrenchment or something or is the husband, you know, maybe um, he's somehow not able to work, physically not able to work, uh, not able to support the family or, or something, man. This lady, she's really, really struggling, man. Now, think about, think about our husband. If God declares, I'm your maker, I'm your husband, we are his wife. Are you living and speaking in a way that seems like you're a desolate woman? You have a husband. Now, not in an erotic way in a covenantal way God is our husband we are the bride of Christ and the thing is he has not left us he has not left you he he did not he did not abandon you he's not working a low wage job he is more than able to put food on your table and supply every of your need according to his riches and glory in fact, through the cross, he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing. So think about it every time you're about to get worried about, you know, like uh, your upcoming wedding costs, your upcoming house mortgage, your upcoming, you know, so, you know, Singaporeans, we're not just, uh, we're, we're so powerful at worrying. Uh, we're not just worrying about like the present, like, or, or the few, or the near future. We're worried about like the far away future. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we're, 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 we're planning for, not just retirement, but we're planning for the day where we get totally disabled and who's going to care for us? Do I have money enough for a helper at that time to care for me? And, uh, and, and I tell you, some, some, some Singaporeans, you know, we worry even about like, um, we, we, they save up even for their own like funeral costs and, and all of that. Oh like, Man, yeah, I know. This is oh my god, it is so yeah. many costs to <laughs> It is, it is, it is. Man, so I, I, and I really, I really, um, I, I can't, uh, you know, I just have a thing against uh, uh, times when people say, uh, 
I hate the job I'm doing. I cannot stand it. I hate everything about it. I don't know why I'm in this job, except the fact that this job pays my bills. So therefore, I am here. I'm doing this job because it pays the bills. And I will stay in it because I will, you know, bite the bullet and, and go through it. And I just think that's that's just a terrible way to live. Why? Because you are looking to your job to pay the bills and not God who's paying the bills. If you look to God, then you follow him. You follow him to whatever job he gives to you or however he decides to pay for you or to feed you. Yeah. And that's that's the only way to live. So if you if you're in that whatever job that you are in, I hope that in your heart of hearts you're saying, I'm in this job because the Lord led me to it. And the Lord is the one who's planting me here. And that's why I'm here. And and because it's the Lord who calls you here, there will be such a flow in your spirit. Because the kingdom of God, if, if you're following the king, you're carrying the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Okay? And you're carrying the king everywhere you go. And the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That means where you're planted, you will experience righteousness, right? The, that place where you are, you are, you'll become salt and light in that place. That place will become more righteous, more blessed because you are there. You are planted there by the Lord and you will experience peace and you will not just experience it, but you will communicate it. You will express it and you, you will flow in that peace throughout the place. Okay, so that means people love to be in your department. Why? Because you are there. And somehow when you are there, they feel more peaceful. They feel like when you are there, the gossiping stops. <laughs> the toxic culture stops. The, the backstabbing stops. The rubbishness stops. Because there is a peace that is there because you are there, right? And because you are there, because the Lord calls you there, you are joyful. You're not like, oh, I hate this. I hate this. I just got to do it because of the bills. No, no, no. You're there willingly and joyfully. And that is infectious, okay? So one of the things God, God, uh, wants to deal with with his wife right there is hey wife fear not fear not for your future fear not for anything fear not for food on the table fear not on bills to pay fear not i'm your husband i'm your maker i'm your husband fear not so you see um as the suffering servant came through his life, there is redemption, there is salvation of the spirit 
But the thing is, God wants more than that. God wants to bring freedom, liberation, not just in our spirit, but in our minds, in our, in our emotions. Fear. God wants to kick out fear. That's one of the big things that God wants to do for us. It's so sad if you get married and uh and and you I mean for, for the guys, you know, uh you're the husband and and you're the provider of the, for your family and, and all that. But when you come back home from work, your wife just like I don't know. I don't know if you can provide for me. Man, look at your job. Like, I don't know if your job can provide for me. Do you, do you really have security in your job? What if you get fired tomorrow? What if you don't do well in your presentation and you get fired and 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 then oh wow. Is that's that's rather sad. Uh. That's that's quite sad. Uh. If your if your wife cannot trust you to to hold on to your job and provide you know um how much more no no now men of course being imperfect men of course being uh uh undependent in that sense undependable yeah in comparison with god who is perfect and fully dependable right uh, but I'm I'm giving that that illustration, uh, that analogy. You want to be able to trust your husband. He is a faithful. He is a perfectly loving husband. He is. And the next thing the the Lord wants to deal with is this area called shame. He says, you will not be ashamed and you will forget the shame of your youth. Now, the thing about shame is, uh, I've taught this a few times. The thing about guilt, guilt is um, when, you, when you've done something wrong, right? You did, you did something wrong, you made a mistake, you feel guilty, yeah? Shame goes deeper than that. Shame, shame doesn't just say I made a mistake. Shame feels like I am a mistake. Shame feels like not just I did something wrong, but there's something wrong with me. It becomes identity. That there is something wrong with me that I'm a mistake. Yeah. And, and shame is what is behind an orphan mentality. Orphan mentality. Orphan mentality is uh, often a, a mindset. Uh, now, it, it of course it doesn't just apply to orphans. In fact, uh, a lot of orphans actually don't have orphan mentality. <laughs> but what I'm what I'm talking about is is a mindset, not a state uh, of whether having biological parents or not. But it is a mindset. It is strongholds in the mind. It is strongholds in the mind that says there's something wrong with me because I, that, that's why I don't have a family. That's why I'll always be alone. I'll always be rejected. You know, no one will care for me. No one will be there for me when I really need somebody. That's an often mentality. 
and at the root of that orphan mentality is a shame statement that says there is something wrong with you. Who said that? Who said that to you? The enemy. Because the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. So when when God comes into the picture, he deals with this thing, fear not. Next thing he deals with, you will not, you will not be ashamed. You will forget the shame of your youth. And behind, uh, um, as a, uh, or rather, um, as a outflow of shame comes the orphan mentality, and it another mentality that comes forth is a victim mentality. Victim mentality says, I need to protect myself because everyone hates me. Everyone wants to attack me, hurt me, uh, take advantage of me because I'm weak. I'm weak, I'm lousy, I'm alone, I'm helpless, I'm nobody. I'm a victim. And because of what has been done to me, I will always be a victim. Again, that's that mentality. The root of it is shame. There's something wrong with you. You are a mistake. Yeah. God doesn't just want to remove the penalty of sin. He wants to heal. He wants to resolve. He wants to restore whatever damage sin has done to our mindset and to our emotions. You are not an orphan. You are not a victim. You are a beloved son. You have a kingdom family. You are loved. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. You are on the winning team. And God is cheering for you. If no one is cheering for you, know this, that there are, the Bible talks about a cloud of witnesses. That means the saints of God in heaven, we're talking about billions here. <laughs> they are cheering you on in your journey with Christ. Can you imagine billions of believers in heaven who knows your name, they know your name, they know your journey, and they are cheering for you, they are rooting for you. But more than that, you have Christ who is in an eternal full-time ministry, and his full-time ministry at the at the right hand of heaven is called intercession. He is interceding for you. Man, you know, sometimes you think, wow, if I have a team of intercessors who are constantly praying for me, man, I think I will be doing very, very well. Now you have 
the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, your eternal bridegroom King, standing at the at 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 right hand of the throne of God, make full time, night and day, day and night, making intercession for you, praying for you. And know this, when the Son of God prays, <laughs> His prayers are in line with the will of God and they will be answered. God is rooting for you. Jesus roots for you. He cheers you on. God of the universe is for you and not against you. Sometimes, um, you know, I talk to, uh, I talk to Christians, um, and uh, there's kind of a fine line between someone when I when I ask someone like, like for example, I say, "Hey, uh, are you free to uh, drop by? You know, maybe this church with me. We're we're gonna visit this church on Sunday, or or just kind of go for a a, a conference or or something, you know." And they go, hmm, I really don't know. Can I uh, take some days to pray about it and let you know? And I'm like, okay, just pray about it and let me know. Cool. And uh, a few days later, uh, I'm like, hey, so how do you want to come on Sunday You know, to this uh, meeting? And they say, oh, I really don't know yet. Uh, I'll, I, I... Just kind of, uh, I don't really know how God feels about it. I don't know what He thinks about it. I can't really hear what He's saying about it. Uh, I think I, I better keep praying about it and see whether He says yes or no. And then, you know, a few days later, you know, I check in with Him and He's like, Oh, I still don't know yet. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll fast tomorrow. Uh, I'll fast lunch tomorrow and pray about it and see whether he says yes or no. When you hear this, you know there's something wrong. This is not just a person who who uh, just who who yes, yes, I understand. He wants to follow God's will. He doesn't want to, um, you know, uh, do something outside of God's will. But I think behind that, there is a fear that he has a wrong, he has a certain conception or preconception of God, idea of God, that God is like a angry taskmaster, like an angry you know, uh, master and your servant, and you're just kind of afraid to make any decision at all because it might fall out of his will. And if it falls out of his will, harm might come to me and he might get either, either the Lord might punish me uh, so severely or uh, if I fall out of his will uh, by making that decision to go to that church service or not to go to that church service, that somehow ha- some form of harm, demonic attack or something will come upon me that just, I think it's a, just a, a mindset that says that that does not understand 
the nature, the heart of God as a father, as a proactive husband, a lover who is for you, not against you, who is always looking out for your good, who will run to you in the times of trouble, who would send angels to go before you and be your rear guard, who really is for you. <laughs> and I think when we have that understanding, when we have that understanding that God is really for me, and he is so powerful. He's the most powerful being in the entire universe. He's able to stop any form of harm that will come against me. He's able to do it. And he's for me. Now, when I understand it, it actually gives me a lot of freedom to choose a lot of things, to, to like live life freely. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like if, if um if Amy goes out with her friends and um and her friends ask her like hey um you know we're we're you know going shopping uh after this um you know uh would you would you like to join us you know and uh and then Amy goes oh I don't know can I can I call my husband and ask him whether I can have uh, the next two hours free to go shopping with you guys. And then, so she calls me and I say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know, and she goes shopping with with, <laughs> with the friends, right? And then they pick a shirt for, for her and say, hey, this this blouse looks really good on you, you know, and all, and all that, go try it on. And then she tries it on and then they're like, oh, yeah, you should get it. And she goes like, I don't know. Maybe I snap a picture and I ask my if my husband approves of it. If she approves, then I I I can buy it. I really don't want, you know, to buy something that he doesn't approve. You know. And then after that, you know, take a picture and everything. And then uh then I, I tell her, Oh yeah, yeah, sure, buy it. It looks good on you. Yeah. And then after that she goes like uh, uh, I I don't think I should buy any more thing, you know. Even though I need a pair of shoes, but my husband might get angry if if I buy that pair of shoes, you know. So I think I better not. Or maybe I can check with him, and then and then he's she's making like ten calls to me while while they are shop while she's shopping. I'm like, there's something seriously wrong with the marriage. <laughs> with like her understanding of me or you know there's something wrong or there's something wrong with me <laughs> yeah but a, but a marriage should not be like that a marriage that is really um secure where people where, where husband and wife are secure in each other and know each other's heart should not be like that you know what i mean so god doesn't want us to live in fear, God doesn't want us to live in shame. Shame has its root in our identity, okay? Who we feel we are. Are we, are we loved? Are we valued? Do we feel loved? Do we feel valued by God? Do we feel God is really for us? 
and not against us. Yeah. And the third thing that God wants to deal with us is uh, the reproach of your widowhood. What does that mean? Widow, widows feel abandoned. Whether it's widow in, in terms of like um, the husband, you know, uh, pass on early or some form of abandonment and, and all that, you know, there's wounds of abandonment and rejection. God wants to free us from living out of abandonment, out of a sense of rejection. Because we are deeply loved. We are wanted. We are needed. We are valued by God, our maker, and our husband. We are valued because of who we are and what we can do as well. Okay? A lot of people say we are value of who we are and not just what we can do. But, but know this. Who you are is designed by God. Designed according to His creativity, according to His intelligence, and also according to the roles that he will give us in the kingdom of God, according to our design. So there are things, there are ability, ta abil abilities, talents, and all that strengths that God has given you that you are able to perform, you are able to do, you are able to achieve, you are able to grow in, because of his design, of who you are, how you're designed, what you can do. And so we are, we are wanted, we are needed, we are valued by God, our maker, our husband. Yeah. Yeah. The, this entire passage the last verse of this chapter kind of summarizes God's heart, God's intention. It says in the last verse, verse 17, No weapon that is formed against you shall succeed. You shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. Okay. What what is the tongue that rises against you in judgment? We know this in Revelations twelve eleven. There is one accuser that accuses you above any other accusers, any other people who speaks against you. There is one who is the most evil who will constantly try to condemn you day and night. Revelations 12, 11 says, We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. This is, uh, it says here, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. What does it mean? Uh, heritage meaning the inheritance. This is the inheritance of the servants of God their vindication, meaning their righteousness, is from me. 
So God has the legal jurisdiction. He has the right to cast down the accuser because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the Lamb of God who died for us. He has the legal right to cast down the accusers who bring who brings accusations, judgments, and condemnations against us. And he calls us to refute them. That means what the enemy says, we say no. That is not right, we refute it. We say no, that is a lie, that is not truth, I will not believe it. We refute it in our minds, we refute it in our emotions, we refute it in our hearts because our righteousness is from Him. If we are saved based on our own righteousness, then we are doomed because it is imperfect and the, the accusations and the condemnation are just. But if we are, if, if we are really saved by the blood of the Lamb, if the righteousness that we have is not our own, but is imputed to us because of his righteous sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice, then we are able to stand firmly against condemnation. That means we can say, no, enemy, you cannot say this to me. I don't believe it because the blood of the lamb, because my righteousness is from him. Now, we, we as believers, we need to learn how to rise up against words, condemn, condemning words that tries to bring fear, that tries to bring anxiety and worry. We need to stand and refute words that brings up shame that continually says there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong with you. You are so broken. There's something wrong with you. You are a mistake. Your parents didn't want you. You'll never be wanted because you have no value. You're weak, lousy, alone, helpless, and all of that. We need to learn how to rise up and refute it. We need to refute Words that bring fear, fear of um, rejection, of abandonment, and all that. Now, when we look at Isaiah 54, it is a prophetic promise to Israel but it is also a prophetic promise to the spirit, to spiritual Israel, which is his church, the body of Christ. And look here, he does not promise that there will be no trouble. In this entire passage, he does not say you will have no trouble at all. Just like in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. That means while you are having trouble, you will have peace. Why? Because we are in a covenant of peace with God. Right? Verse 10. 
In the world, you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus has overcome everything that comes against us. Because of that, we may have peace. And then in verse 15 uh, of Isaiah 54, he promises us that any attack is not from, any attack that we face is not from God against us. Any anger against us has been settled by our Redeemer. We are at peace with God. God is not against us. I need you to drill this in your mind. Because there will be a time where you will face trouble, whether it is facing a sickness, whether it is something that happens in your family or, or something where you will face trouble. And then at those, at those moments, you will start thinking and you will start wondering, oh no, is God coming against me? Is God coming against me? Is he against me? Is it because I said that thing that day and now God is angry at me and he wants to punish me because I said that thing and now God is against me? Verse 15 emphasizes to us any attack that we face is not God against us. He says, uh, the, uh, he says in Romans, or God says in Romans 8, He works all things together for our good. He's for us, He's not against us. So when I read from verse 6 to verse 8, you know, when I look at verse 6 to verse 8, I see. If you look, um, when I read uh, this part about verse 6 to verse 8, like a wife being deserted, being cast away for a moment in overflowing anger, it brings to mind what Jesus goes through at the cross. Because when Jesus was at the cross, he carried the the, the sin of the world that is upon him. And he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And through that, God brings, rede through that, God brings redemption. We've been saved from the overflowing wrath of God. We've been saved from the waters of Noah, the wrath of God, brought into a place of redemption, brought into a place of salvation. So let me just uh, pray into this. Um, I just want to pray specifically uh, that, that the Lord sets us free from fear, from shame, from rejection, or fear of rejection, a sense of abandonment. Father, we, we bring our 
our brokenness before you, God. We bring our hearts before you. And we bring our minds before you. Lord, you called us to love you with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, every part of our being to fall in love with you. And for that to happen, Father, we we need to we need the strongholds in our minds that rises up against the knowledge of God. We need those strongholds to be removed. And so, Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit, your Spirit of truth, to constantly speak truth, to refute the condemnations, the accusations from the enemy. Father, help us to rise up in those moments when the enemy whispers in our ears that we will rise up and refute these lies, these ungodly beliefs in our minds. And Lord, we we pray for our hearts, Father. We bring before you our hearts. We bring our brokenness before you. We bring our wounds before you. We bring before you the times where we've been hurt. The times where we experience trauma. That has caused us to believe that there is something wrong with us that there is something wrong with me, that I'm a mistake, that I'm nobody, that I'm not loved. Father, we bring these memories, we bring these areas of our hearts before you. God, you are our maker and you are our redeemer. And because you made us, you know how to restore us because you made us Lord you know how to redeem and heal us and so Lord we bring before you our hearts and we say God I don't want to live in the reality that is created by the lies of the enemy I don't want to live in shame I want to live in freedom I want to live not feeling like a fraud. I want to live in, 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 in a sense of righteousness, being right with God. I want to live in, in peace in my heart, knowing that, Lord, you brought me into a covenant of peace with you. I want to live with joy overflowing in my heart, God. I want to live my life in with every activity that I engage in, every job that I engage in, um, any family responsibility that I engage in. I wanted it. I want it to be flowing with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And Father God, most of all, I don't want to feel rejected anymore. I don't want to feel abandoned anymore. I don't want to feel alone anymore. I want to constantly sense your presence with me, God. Because I know you are for me and not against me. You are my family, God. 
my brothers, my sisters, the Lord you have given me, these are my family. And you have brought me into union with you, into covenant with you. You are my husband. I'm wanted, I'm needed, I'm valued. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening at the sound of my voice. I pray, would you minister to our hearts as we meditate on your word, as we look to the God of the word, the God of love. Lord, would you minister to our hearts, God? Would you help me to experience God as our maker, as our husband? God, our maker, our husband. Correct whatever misconception that I have of you, God. I don't want to worship a false God that I created in my mind. So Lord, would you surface any misconceptions that I have about you. Help me to see the God of the Word. And Father, most of all, prepare my heart in the times where I will face trouble in this life, where I'll face tribulation in this life, times where it gets difficult, seasons where it, get, it gets difficult. Prepare my heart to, to trust. Prepare my heart to lean on you. Prepare my heart to have faith in you, God. Because I want to walk this journey with you. I want my heart to be peaceful through the storm. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. I pray for all those, whether they are here today or on Zoom or listening to the YouTube video or watching the YouTube video, I ask, Father, minister to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.